Oh, hey, I want to say good morning again and welcome to church. Welcome to those of you who are watching the service online today. And we've got a, a great uh, message this morning from Pastor Paul Edlin. And he's speaking on, continuing on Matthew 7, um, verse 12. And I know you'll be blessed, encouraged, exhorted. Uh, yeah, so that, that's what we've got this morning. Awesome. Good morning, church. Ah, of course, it's that interim pastor. Of course. Ah, fantastic. Fantastic to see you all here. Absolutely wonderful. Yeah, I'll just reiterate what, um, uh, what Christine said. Now, before we do, are you ready for the word? Okay, fantastic, looking forward to that as well. But before we do, are there any blue supporters here today? <laughs> Come on, put your hand up. You know, I've been away from Christchurch for 21 years, or nearly 21 years, and um, always been a crusader supporter, and for the last 20 years or whatever, been away from here we've pretty much won everything. And it's been absolutely wonderful to be in places like Wellington and stand up there and they've got their black and yellow shirts on and I've got my Crusaders shirt on because we just won another title. Oh, I've loved every minute of it. And I come back home, so to speak, and we win again. So I reckon God lined it up just for me. <laughs> just for me. So if you're Visiting here with us today, a very, very warm welcome to you. As Caleb said, please stay after the service. Uh, the cafe's open again, so we've got coffee and we've got ice cream and sausages today as well. It should be interesting. What a great combination that is. That is for sure. Now, if you are here for the first time, what normally happens here, and I'm kind of getting used to it as well, is that um, we're preaching through a series uh, uh, in the Gospel of Matthew. And um, what would normally happen, whoever's doing the preaching, they would... They would uh, pick a passage out of, out of Matthews, we're kind of doing it sequentially, and there'd be several verses or, 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 a, or a whole half a chapter or something like that they'd read, and then they'd preach into it. That's what would normally happen, eh, Anna? That's what we'd normally do. But today, we are going to preach from one verse, literally one verse. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 7, and it's verse 12, and it's referred to as the golden rule. Has anyone heard of this? The golden rule. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. We are going to unpack one verse this morning. It's a preacher's lot, Amy. I got the short straw. One verse. Make a message out of that. All right, let's see what God can do. You know, in my early childhood, and I think I'll share this with you, I, I grew up on a farm. And so kind of the outdoor life for, for us as kids growing up was kind of just normal. And at age seven... Nairi, age seven, I had my first air rifle. You're allowed to do that today? I don't know. Can you? Anyway, seven years of age, Dad bought me this air rifle. And I loved it because I'd go out shooting possums and rabbits, and I just, it was just terrific. I loved it. And as soon as I turned 16, because in New Zealand, to get your firearms license, you have to be 16. Yeah? Is that true? Is still true? I think it is. Anyway, and I do have a firearms license, by the way. Um, at age 16, I sat... I, at 15, I got my car license. Couldn't wait. 
because I had a car at age 15 way back in the day. And then, then, um, then I got my firearms license and I bought a 22 caliber rifle. And then, then Dad had an old 303 that he had in the back cupboard, which I kind of put into my room. And it was my, me and my mates here, and I lived in Christchurch at the time, we would go out um, on a Friday during school time. I had this note. My mum wrote me a note about a year beforehand. Uh, one particular Friday, I had to help her do something really around the house or something like that. So she wrote this note for me to give to the teacher to excuse myself from school. And a year later, I still had it in my wallet. So I used to take this note out and give it to the teacher. Where were you on Friday for? I was out helping mum. She never had a date on it. But we'd be out hunting. Me and my mates would be out shooting. I had the car. We have the rifles in the back of the car and we'd go out hunting. Or, if we didn't do that, we'd be at the Golden Q Pool Hall in Manchester Street playing pool. So that was, that was my high school years. It's probably why I didn't get university entrance, but never mind. Never mind. So I used to go out hunting and our two boys, they would tell you, when they came out hunting with Dad, there was a golden rule that we had to keep. They had to keep one golden rule that they must abide by. And they would tell you if they were here, and that golden rule was always stay behind the person carrying the rifle. That was the golden rule. Do you have a golden rule in your family? Do you have one? Does anyone have a golden rule that they kind of, they kind of live by? For example, um, don't worry about what you can't control. This is a good golden rule. How about um, don't compare yourself with other people? Aren't we very good at doing that? Well, here's a golden rule. Don't do it. God created you. You're perfect in his eyes. You're perfect. How about this one? Learn to let go. Hello, someone out there. Learn to let go. How about this one? Forget the past and live in the present. Well, here's one for all the youth and the young people. Be nice to your parents at all times. <laughs> well, Jesus had a golden rule, and it happens to be, I think, one of the most misunderstood verses in the entire New Testament. Verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 12, which has come up on the screen. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For well, this sums up the law and the prophets. So for context, and we all know I've been rabbiting on about this since I've been here. Context is really important, isn't it, church? It's important that we understand the context. What was the writer or the speaker saying back then to the people so that when we apply it today, we apply it correctly and not incorrectly? so that we don't misapply what Scripture was actually saying. So context is important. And uh, in context, the golden rule actually was not exclusive to Jesus' teaching. It actually came from Confucius initially. And most of the major religions adopted this principle, this golden rule, and included it uh, in their teaching. Now, as a moral, the golden rule is all about one's conduct, specifically how we relate to each other. Brenda, it's all about how you and I 
relate together. Bruce, how we relate, even when we disagree. It's all about that. In fact, when I research this, when I, when you, because when you're preaching, you you know you go a little bit deeper than what um, you're reading just on the page, and I found out that the golden rule that Jesus included in the Sermon on the Mount is actually um, uh, uh, the practical application of Leviticus uh, 19:18, which is, comes on the screen. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as you love yourself. So then, with Leviticus 19.18 as our supportive text, let's read together, and I want us to read this together. Let's read together how Jesus reframes Leviticus 19.18. Next slide. Let's do this together. So, in everything... Do to others what you would have them do to who? Me, you, me. And notice Jesus' reframing of Leviticus 19.18 takes it much further than the law, the Old Testament law. Because from his perspective, so in everything, and underline the word everything, in all things, do to others what you would have them do to you. Church, that is an expectation. We are to treat others the way that we would like them to treat me, to treat us. Did you catch that? That's actually an expectation that Jesus has for us. Treat others the way that you would like them to treat you. So I'm going to be really nice to this young man because I want him to be nice to me. Now, you recall, earlier in this series, um, I said that the Sermon on the Mount was addressed to who? Christians. Jesus wasn't talking to unbelievers. He was talking to his followers. So he's talking to us in his Sermon on the Mount. And in this one verse, Jesus is basically summing up the entire ethics of interpersonal relationships, Amy. He's summing it up in this one verse. And again, it's important to understand the context because Robert preached earlier, I think, um, about the judgment. Judge, judge not. You preached seven, uh, chapter 7, verses 1 through to 6. Great message about us judging one another. So in context, again, it's understanding what Jesus is saying. We need to go back a few verses to understand the context. So beginning in chapter 7, verses 1 to 6, Jesus has already addressed the issue of judging others. You recall what it says? Do not judge. Judge not or you will be judged for the, with the measure you use. It will be measured back to you. So if I'm going to be mean to Caleb, which I won't be, by the way, but if I'm going to be, then something's going to come back at me in the same kind of spirit. You know, if you want to get people on side with you, if you want them to, um, if you want to relate to them well, it really pays to treat them well. It really does. Hey, Miriam. Because if I'm going to, uh, so what's your name? Nairi, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah, I, she was only in my life group about 30 years ago, when she was about 25. 
But you see, see, whatever we do always comes back, whether it's good, bad, or otherwise. So it's important to understand that. Judge not, or you'll be judged for the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So if Matthew 7, verses 1 to 6, was a summary of how we are not to treat others, then verse 12 is all about how we are to treat others. It's the reverse. It's the flip side. So with all that in mind, I want you to imagine, if you would, just put on your left, switch the right brain off and just click into the left side of your brain. I want you to get into the imaginary side of your mind. Imagine if you would. Imagine if we lived in a world where there was no anger. That's anger of the destructive kind because there is a good side to anger, by the way. But the destructive side of anger. Imagine if there was no bitterness, if, if there was no hatred. Imagine if we lived in a world where there was no abuse of any kind. So I'm asking you to imagine this. Imagine if we lived in a world where there was no discrimination. Imagine if we lived in a world of just for a second. We lived in a world where children are seen and not hurt. Imagine that. Can you imagine a church where there were no marriage breakups? I should know because I'm a divorcee. Did you know that? I am. But not from her. That I can promise you. 37 years this year. It's going well. Imagine just for a moment a world, Anna, where there was no poverty. Imagine that. A world where we all celebrated each other's wins and shared in each other's losses. Imagine if just for a moment, imagine a life without worry. Imagine that. Beware when I take my jacket off. Impossible, you say. It's impossible, Paul, for that to be true. That's a world that only exists in our imagination. And you would be right, which is why I said, would you just imagine with me? It exists in our imagination only. It's true. What I've asked you to imagine is not our current reality. But for believers, because remember, Jesus was talking to his followers in the Sermon on the Mount. For believers, it is a future certainty that Jesus promises us. At some point, that will be our reality. As things stand today, however, church, obviously, we are not experiencing the fullness of that promise yet, are we? We're not. But a time is coming when we will live our lives in the fullness of God's promises. If you were to turn to 1 Corinthians 13, 12, the Apostle Paul explained it this way. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then a time will come 
we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I will, shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. There are two parts to understanding what the Apostle Paul was saying here. Firstly, we all know that a reflection is an obscure or an imperfect um, frame of reality, isn't it? That's what a reflection, it's usually fuzzy around the edges. We also know that sin has the power to mask and obscure God's promises. Would you agree with that? That's what sin does. Well, it's one of the things that sin does. Now, just as sin will mask and obscure God's promises, the Apostle Paul was making a point in 1 Corinthians that there will come a time when what sin has obscured, what sin has muddied, what sin has muddled, that time it will become clear. At that time, we will be fully known and we will know fully all things. Stay with me. That's the first part of what he's saying. But the second part is, and this is the important part, because this brings it to today. The second part is, on the other side of that promise that Paul has given us, there is this life that we live right now. On the other side of that promise, we get to live this life, church, whether we're in plenty or lack, whether in sickness and health, whether it's COVID or not COVID. By the way, how many have had their COVID how many have had a dose of COVID? Yep. How many haven't had it? It's coming. <laughs> Apparently. It's coming. I don't think you're going to be able to avoid it. We came all the way from Wellington to catch COVID. I had it about a week and a half ago. And then I passed it on to Christine. She was 24 hours behind me. Well, I'm clear now, by the way. I'm, you're, you're safe, safe around me. But, but you know, it's going to come. doesn't matter. Just because you've got Christian label attached to you doesn't mean you're not going to get COVID. It's probably going to happen. I hope you don't get it, by the way, but it prob you probably will. Church, no one, Christian or non-Christian, is exempt from the ups and downs that life dishes out, yeah? No one is exempt from those things. And in this one verse, Jesus sums up the central thrust of all the law and what the prophets had declared up to that day. So in everything, someone say everything, in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. So, here's my question to you. Shall we explore in the next 10, 15 minutes what that means for us today? You want to come on a journey? Let's have a look. Just two points. Actually, no points because it's just disappeared on me. There we go. We're back. Yeah, technology. Here's the first point. Listen to this. How we treat each other people, it matters. How we treat other people matters. 
Now, I know you know this, but I want to remind us again. Our faith is not just about a vertical relationship with God. It's also, it should be translated horizontally as well with one another. That's the vertical part. That's where we begin. It all begins with Him. But our relationships with other people matter equally as well, church. You see this in chapter 22, uh, Matthew chapter 22. After Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees then kind of lined up one after the other because they wanted to trap him. They wanted to trick him, just as, as only a Pharisee would. And in Matthew 22, verse 35 to 40, I'll, I'll read it very quickly. Um, one of them, Pharisees, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Remember the other day, the other week when I was preaching, I said, um, how many laws there were that Mo in the law of Moses? How many were there? 600 and, gee whiz, 613. 613 original laws of Moses that the nation of Israel had to live by. And the truest expression of those 613 laws are summed up first by how we love God, number one. And secondly, and this is the point, how we love other people. Turn to someone and say he's talking about you. Yeah. Yeah. And here's the point. Here's the point. If indeed I truly love God, I will do all I can to love others. That's the point. You know, in a world whose philosophy is look out for number one, this goes against our natural instincts, doesn't it? It does. Look, all of us, whether you like it or not, whether you're willing to be honest or not, we all have a selfish streak. We all, you know, church, I have to guard myself against that all the time. Brian, all the time for me. I don't know about you, you're probably perfect. No, good, we're, on the, we're in the same boat. Someone said to me once, you're Christians, uh, you Christians, you're all in the same boat. And I said, yeah, but some of us have got first class tickets. Anyway, anyway. The fact that it goes against our natural instincts, though, church, doesn't give us an out. It doesn't mean that we're not responsible for this. The Bible tells us the many, many examples of um, the disciples and, 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 and the prophets and the people of the day who, while they were going through difficult times, still reached out to those beside them, other people who were around them. Let me give you some examples here. Even Jesus, when he was hanging on the cross, took the time out to talk to the criminal on the other side. And he's hanging on the cross. 
Stephen, while he was being stoned, prayed for those killing him, asking God to not lay the sin at their charge. Wow. And he's, he's dying as this is happening. Beaten and wrongly imprisoned, Paul and Silas took the time to minister to their jailer. Even after God had sent this powerful earthquake that the chains fell off them, and the jailer's kind of standing there thinking, good grief, I'm in real trouble now. And he was about to fall on his sword because he knew that if Paul and Silas had escaped some way, the Romans were going to kill him anyway. And what did Paul and Silas do? They stayed. After the chains had fallen from them, they stayed and they ministered to that jailer right there in the jail cell. And their act of love moved the jailer to ask how he might be saved. Catch this. Get this in your spirit. And as a result of that, his entire family were won to Christ. Isn't that awesome? You can read that story in Acts 16. You see, how we treat other people, church, matters. It really, really does matter. Observe, observe too. That this command is not just how you are to treat some people. You see, I have this tendency to favor that person over that person. I'm the only one, obviously. Okay, all right. I have this tendency. You know, we contend towards prioritizing some people ahead of others, our family or Christian brothers or church people. And that's not wrong in one sense. But the Greek word here is the word anthropoi or anthropoi, and it means all people. I don't get to choose who I am nice to or not nice to. Actually, I do get to choose who I'm not nice to, yes. I get to choose equally to be to, to be a follower of Jesus and the way that I act, the way that I talk to all people, not just you, Bruce. Sorry, mate. It's all people. There is no one church that you know to whom this verse does not apply. It applies to everybody. How we treat other people matters, church. It actually matters a whole lot. Second point, and we'll wind this up. Treat people the way that you want them to treat you. I want you to close your eyes for a second. No, for more than a second. Just close your eyes. Just close your eyes. I want you to think of a time when someone treated you badly. Don't shout it out. Just keep it to yourself. Think of a time when somebody mistreated you and maybe you're even carrying the the residue of that today maybe the pain of that is still very real as you're considering that so here's my question to you you can open your eyes if you want how should you respond to that person today If they were to walk in front of you today, how should you respond? Remember, they hurt you. Remember, 
They made you feel small, limited, and insignificant. They may have hurt you deeply. They they may have cut to the heart of who you are. They may have embarrassed you in front of a whole lot of people. They may have physically harmed you. If they were standing right there in front of you today, how would you respond to them? Good question, isn't it? not the easiest um, verse to preach from by the way I threw the short straw as I said before but that's the truth of it right there treat people the way you want them to treat you let's unpack that in the Old Testament Israel had adopted the practice of what they call equivalent retaliation Leviticus 24 19 and 20 says I think it's on the screen Oh, here it is. Anyone who injures their neighbor is to be injured, listen to that, is to be injured in the same manner. That was the law. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, the one who has inflicted the injury must suffer the same injury. That's in the Bible, by the way. But in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus takes that verse and that practice and completely upends it he turns it on its head and essentially jesus says that was then israel and he's talking to us today right now that was then paul that was then but this is a new covenant this is a new kingdom that i'm establishing and that is no longer the case under the law i had the right to retaliate but under grace i do not and nor do you. Remember I said that Jesus didn't in any way diminish the law of Moses. When, he, when, when Jesus came in the Sermon on the Mount, he actually expanded the law of Moses. He actually intensified the law of Moses. Matthew 5.17, remember that? Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to... Fulfill them. As the great preacher John MacArthur says, Jesus didn't come to end the law. He came as the end of the law. Did you get that? That's a powerful truth right there. That's a revelation right there. He did not come to end it. He came as the end of the law. The law, the period of time for the law, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant had finished. Now it is the New Covenant, the covenant of grace. He wasn't doing away with one iota of the law. He was actually taking what had already been written down and he was taking it to a whole new level. And that's the period of time that we're living in right now. And we will do until the Lord returns. There's no such thing as an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth, as much as I would like there to be. No such thing. Not for Christians. You know, the Pharisees, we talk a lot about the Pharisees, and they get a lot of bad press. And actually, rightly so. They get a lot of bad press. But you know one thing I'll give them credit for? They were fervent 
and what they believed. I'll give them credit for that. The problem was for them, and this is what Jesus was trying to get through to them. The problem was they made it all about performance. And Jesus says, no, there's something that is more important to understand before that. It's not about performance. It's about one's heart, first and foremost. You see, at the heart level, that's what we really think. What goes on in your heart is what you really feel. What goes on deep down inside in that place we call our heart, the seat of our emotions, that's what you really believe. And Jesus was saying to the Pharisees, your actions, as commendable as they are, they're good, but if your heart is not right, at some point, what's in your heart will come out and your actions will follow. They were trying to say, no, no, I can manage this, I can manage this, I can manage this by just thinking that I will be good. I think and, 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 and believe and I will do good. Jesus said, no. Whatever goes on in your heart is what you will do. Whatever goes on in your heart is what you believe. It's what you think. And your actions will follow. He said there is something else that determines our actions. And that something else is the condition, Pharisees, of your heart. Matthew 5.20. I think Matthew 5.20 is the one verse that sums up the entire Sermon on the Mount. That's my opinion. This is what I believe. Matthew 5.20 says this, For I tell you, remember he's talking to the Pharisees. I tell you, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, righteousness, Jesus was saying, doesn't begin with what we do. You can do good things, but with wrong motives, and I'm sure we'll, we've all been guilty of that at some point. But righteousness, true righteousness begins first in this thing that we call the heart. That was Jesus' point. Everything we do comes from the condition of our heart. That's why King Solomon said, Proverbs 4.23, Let's read it together. Above all else, guard your heart. Yeah. Everything that I do springs from it. It's the heart that determines what we think, how we think. It's the heart that determines our actions and what we do. So what Jesus was pointing out to the Pharisees was simply this. Amy, can you bring the team up, please? Back to the golden rule. Jesus did not say, if someone treats you badly that you should treat them the same way that they treat you in that regard. That's retaliation, and how many of you know that retaliation never ends up in a good way? 
It never winds up in a good situation, a good outcome. Instead, he says, treat them the way you want to be treated. Under the old covenant, it was eye for an eye. But under the new covenant, Jesus commands us to treat others the way that you want them to treat you. Even if they don't, we are still want them to treat, treat, we are still to treat them the way we want them to treat us. And would you agree that that's an entirely different way from the world's way? Yeah? Would you agree? It's the complete opposite. I want to conclude with this. I asked you earlier to imagine, just imagine, that song will be fine, but yeah, just imagine Just imagine if there was no abuse of any kind. Just imagine that. Just imagine if there was no discrimination. No marriage breakups. That'd be a good thing, wouldn't it? Imagine a world where children were seen and not hurt. Where there was no poverty. Where we all celebrated each other's wins and got alongside each other when we went through loss, supported one another, not just with a pat on the back, but, you know, some, some of you are testifying this morning about this church. One of the, part of the DNA of this church is that it's a very practical church. People testified about this this morning. Um, Tori, wherever you happen to be, shared what had happened going through their grief process, which, by the way, they're still going through. But people just got alongside and bought food and for them they bought some gifts and money and all sorts of things. So it's it's not just about celebrating our wins, it's walking together in our losses, walking alongside one another. You know, for the last seven weeks as Christine was sharing, we had a whole church praying for us. That's you. And people up in Wellington were praying for us. I was getting emails from people in Wellington, Caleb. How's it all going down there? Have you got the house that you da-da-da-da-da? Have you sold your house? And I had to send these emails back saying, no, 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 please keep praying. And you'd probably ask yourself this question. So why didn't God, why didn't God, Brenda, just stop all of that, turn it all around according to my prayer, because that's what I wanted. Why didn't he just stop all of that? And all of a sudden, everything fell into place and our house up there sold. By the way, we did sell it for hundreds of thousands of dollars less than what we had anticipated. And that is the truth. That is the truth. That was part of the pain we had to go through. But I'm cool now. (laughs) I've accepted it. Isn't that right, Dimitri? (laughs) We're in a great place of peace. Do you know why? Do you really want to know why, what the bottom line was? You, them, praying for us, walking alongside us in practical ways as well as emotional and physical and spiritual ways. That's what church does. That's what church should be, shouldn't it? And that's what we are. That's what we're called to be. Can I say this to you as the interim pastor? You are a fabulous church. You are a wonderful church. You live out your faith on a daily basis. When you kids on the block, and we see it all the time, Nairi, all the time. Please be encouraged. It's wonderful. 
So imagine where we all celebrated each other's wins and shared in each other's losses as we are doing here, where your possessions were safe. Imagine a life without worry. Wow, that'd be a good thing, wouldn't it? Well, here's the bottom line. We cannot change the world. But we can change our world. We can change our world. We can change our world by simply doing this, by doing to others what you'd have them do to you. For that, that one alone is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. You okay, church? Everyone good? We're two minutes over time. Can I have permission to just go a little bit further? Just keep that going, please, Amy. Just That's lovely. Just keep that in the background. Robert, I'm going to need your help here. Up you come. All week in, in prep preparing to, to preach that message, which by the way, I was not looking forward to, to be honest. But God's so gracious, isn't he? God is always gracious and he gives you what you need and you, and, and you just know you're in the stream with him. And I, I sense that right now. God gave me a couple of words um, um, uh, and, and, and not with, for, for specific people. But one, one of the words that the Lord gave me is, that you're in a position, you're here today, you're in a position where you actually have been hurt badly. You've tried to do the right thing and it's kind of just been thrown back at you and, it, and it's been painful. And you've come this morning and you've heard this message um, that you're supposed to treat people in the way that you want them to treat you even if they don't treat you in that way. That's a hard call, eh? Well, here's the thing for you. If you continue to carry that pain, that hurt, if you continue to hold on to that, what, it, what can happen is it, be, it, can be, it can become for you like a cuddly, a cuddly blanket like, your, you know, your child. They had their little cuddly they would hold on to when they got, when they got um, hurt or something like that and they would hold on to this and, and that would make them feel comfortable. Sometimes what we can do is in the hurt that we have experienced, we hold on to it and it becomes a comfort. Doesn't that sound bizarre? But that's what we do. So that's what we can do. And that is not God's best for your life. Sometimes you've just got to let some stuff go. Sometimes you're not going to be able to do anything about that person. You won't change anything about them, but you can change you. You can change everything about how you relate and manage that situation. You see, one of the master tactics of the enemy is to hold you locked into a situation where you're stuck between floors. You can't go up or down. You're just stuck in the past. Don't stay there. Choose to move on. 
choose to move on. 